Welcome to Geeks Who Lead, the global learning community for senior data and engineering leaders operating at scale. My name's Peter Bell. I'm founder and CTO at Geeks Who Lead, and previously taught at Columbia Business School and ran engineering at General Assembly. The future of engineering leadership is here. It's just not evenly distributed. Every week we share interviews from senior data and engineering leaders, sharing their hard-won wisdom, and occasionally we mix it up with interviews with domain experts who can help us all to more effectively deliver business values from the engineering or data orgs that we oversee. Hi there, my name is Peter Bell, and today I'm delighted to be speaking with Kit Corbett, the CTO of VMware. Kit, thanks so much for taking the time to talk today. Thanks for having me on, Peter. So this is a little bit different from our usual episodes. What we usually do is take the time to be like, okay, so you've learned how to effectively run a staff meeting or seven ways to improve the application of OKRs to an engineering org. But, but today I, I'm just fascinated by your journey in, in, a, in a world where in terms of tenure at a, at a role, I think 18 months is the new three years. That is how long people usually stay with a company. Yeah. You've been at VMware a little longer. like. Just at a super high level, how long have you you been at VMware now, and and what's kept you there for so long? Yeah, well, in about two or three weeks' time, I'll officially be at my twentieth anniversary <laughs> at VMware. That's full time. If you include my time as an intern, um, then it'd be almost, I guess, twenty one years. Um, so it's been a while. What's kept me here is a few things. I think first and foremost, I felt throughout my career here that I've been continually able to to learn and to grow, both as a person, but also professionally, and uh, to really challenge myself to develop. Uh, secondarily, I've also had a lot of fun, uh, really enjoy the folks here, uh, the culture, the community that, that we have. And, you know, I think as I looked at, or as I look at my progression over time, I've been continually afforded new opportunities to, to take on a bigger ownership or, you know, focus on a bigger space. And really, I haven't had the need to, to look anywhere else. So it's been kind of this interesting thing where I didn't intend to be at VMware necessarily for 20 years. It's not like <laughs> when I started in 2003, that was the plan. There was no plan. <laughs> it's just one of those things that organically happened. And, here we are today. And I think it's fascinating because I see broadly three career paths for senior engineering leaders. There's the offshoot path where like they, they go up to a certain point and then they're like, oh yeah, that's miserable. Let me start a company, become a chief architect, do something that doesn't involve aligning and motivating hundreds or thousands of people. There's the rinse and repeat strategy, which is, oh, I'm really good at going from seed to series B. I should do that again. And then there's the continual growth strategy where it just becomes bigger and bigger challenges and continually learning new things. So I'm really looking forward to kind of maybe going through that journey step by step and looking uh, for two things, actionable advice that will be of relevance to our, our, our listenership and, and to people viewing this. And then also things that we can maybe take away that would help us to think about how we can continue to support the progression of the next generation of engineering leaders within our orgs. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So firstly, intern. So, so what was going on and what, what did you do then? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, uh, at college, I got really interested in operating systems and low level systems more generally. And, um, 
<clears throat> so some of the folks, uh, upper classmen, I guess, had interned or started to work at VMware. So I had some connections through the computer science department. And when I started looking at different internship opportunities, VMware was really exciting to me. It was one of those interesting things where, you know, they were building an operating system designed to run other operating systems, which is, of course, very different from a traditional operating system designed to run applications. And so a lot of the trade-offs you make, a lot of the design decisions, or were just quite, you know, in some cases, starkly different. So I uh, did my internship in what was it, the summer of 2002 with VMware. So I was working in what is called the VM kernel group, which still exists today. It's much, much larger <laughs> than it was <laughs> 21 years ago. But, um, um, but the focus was really on, uh, for me, a couple of things. Uh, probably the, the, the biggest thing I worked on at the time was actually enabling uh, GDB-based debugging of our kernel over a serial port. So this was kind of the early days and uh, the, the bugging was kind of rudimentary. I had to kind of print a lot of, uh, do a lot, use a lot of print lines, I guess, to uh, print stuff out to the serial logger. So that was like super interesting. And uh, I kind of jumped in and it got, got, gave me a good understanding of, of a real world, you know, complex operating system. But moreover, as I mentioned, I think it was also interesting coming into a company at that point. I think VMware was probably 200 people, maybe 220 something like that it's fairly small still growing you know obviously had a lot more growth <laughs> to go there um so show me kind of how, how a company worked and um but the other part of it that i thought was fun was that there was a lot of problems that, that they were working on that the industry hadn't really grappled with before so that one was super super interesting for me and so you went back to college, finished up the degree, presumably. Mm -hmm. um, and then what was the, the first role then? What made you pick VMware and what was mm -hmm. the first role you took? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, it's one of those things where it really came down to some simple things for me. It was, uh, as I mentioned, the technology, super interesting, different than what anyone else was working on. The people were just incredibly intelligent. I mean, just super, super strong, smart people. And I was always sort of in awe of their like raw, you know, intelligence and uh, all the, the super difficult, you know, low level systems things that they were implementing. And then finally, the culture as well. It was just, it was a good company to work for, a, a strong, you know, community culture, supporting one another, and very positive uh, sort of thing. You know, one of the things I've you know, continue to this day to really like about VMware is that we really don't tolerate assholes, <laughs> right? I mean, I'm sure there's one or two that sneak in there somewhere, but generally speaking, it's about, you know, mutual support and trying to work through things. And so those were the things that really stayed with me as I thought about, okay, what do I want to do next? And I, I looked at some different companies, um, but there was still a tremendous amount of work to do in that area of the VM kernel that, that I did during the internship. And it's funny because I think looking back at it now with, with what, what I know and, and really moving from just the pure sort of technology people lens to looking at it from more of a business lens and, and look and, and trying to think through it from that perspective. And it was like, wow, you know, VMware was really on the cusp of something very, very large in terms of being able to revolutionize um, the industry with virtualization. And I, I don't think at that time it was something I even really considered. Like, is this thing going to be successful or not? I had no idea. I was having fun. I was young. I was kind of, you know, not not thinking about these longer term <laughs> things. Um, and I don't think I'd make necessarily a different decision today, per se. But 
I think that's one of those things where as you know, someone who is coming up, bringing that business perspective is really, really important because it helps you understand, okay, is there some longevity to what's happening here? That's great. So then moving on from that that kind of first technical role in your introduction to working at VMware, what was the first role where you had some team lead or, or managerial responsibility? So the first time that happened um, was more of a technical lead, which mm-hmm. would have been on the um, vMotion project. So vMotion is a technology that... Well, it's kind of interesting, right? So this is another one of these kind of exciting things. In fact, the emotion was created in the labs uh, while I was interning. So in fact, my mentor, this guy, <laughs> Mike Nelson, who uh, created and demoed it for us internally. And what was interesting about it was that it was able to move a running virtual machine between two different physical hosts without any downtime or disruption. So first, as a background on this, like this is, you know, this, this, process migration between two different physical servers was something that researchers and academics and many folks have been trying to crack for years, if not decades. And always, you know, any sort of solution they could cobble together always required some sort of specialization or modification of the app or some other sort of special sauce. Uh, What we were able to do, leveraging this virtualization construct, was to be able to do it for unmodified operating systems and applications. It was a really, really powerful thing. So what happened was that was created, as I mentioned, during my internship. I went back to school, came back full-time at VMware in September of 2003, started working on the kernel again in a different part of the kernel than where vMotion was. But eventually, after a year or two, um, I uh, w- the stuff I was working on was sort of not coming to an end, but sort of getting to a point where I was able to shift off of it. And that was where I took up vMotion. And, and it was interesting because at the time, no one was really working on it. And if you're familiar with VMware, if you're familiar with vSphere, you'll know that vMotion is like one of the most foundational and important technologies <laughs> that we have. And so it's like, how is it the case that like no one was working on it? <laughs> the thing barely even compiled at the time it was kind of, uh, kind of wild. These were the wild days, you know, the, the early VMware days. But, um, and so I think I'm the type of person who, if I see a gap, we'll naturally jump into it. I don't necessarily need to be asked or coaxed into it. I just sort of see it and I go do it. And um, and so that was the case with vMotion. So for a while there, I was, it was literally a one-man army. I just started working on it. There was no one else working on it. And brought it, you know, brought it back to health, made a whole bunch of improvements on it. And, um, and over time, there was sort of a, a loose team that was built around it. Now, the thing with vMotion is that it's a technology that is extraordinarily sensitive to a lot of the other components within ESX, uh, the, the operating system, the hypervisor uh, of, of vSphere, and the underlying physical host. And there's all sorts of like weird performance issues that can happen, mm-hmm. other sorts of things that can cause the vMotion process to fail. So what would happen is I'd inevitably get called in when these things failed, and, you know, I sort of would then reach out to different teams across VMware, technical teams, to try and understand what was happening. And eventually kind of built up uh, this loose-knit, almost tiger teamish set of folks. So that was really the, the time. And, you know, then I was sort of running the meetings. I was coordinating activity. We sort of had a burn-down list. Like, every week we had to get stuff done. So that was really my first experience as a, a sort of leader in that sense of trying to coordinate activity across a group of folks. 
What were some of the the learnings and, and how did you figure that out? Right. Because the problem is we're all basically we we all go to school for computers because we like them just a little bit more than humans. And then somehow we're given the, yeah. these people <clears throat> reporting to us and we, we need to deal with humans and emotions and commitments and all the rest. What was the process? Was there any formal training or support as you moved into the leadership role? And, and what were some of the bumps or some of the, the, the big lessons that you learned when you were first leading efforts? Yeah. Uh, no, there wasn't much of anything formal. <laughs> as I said, you know, I, I, part of it was maybe just the culture of VMware. It was, there, there was definitely, uh, I want to say wild west, but not in like a bad aspect, kind of good aspect. It was wild west in terms of it was open that you could go and just get stuff done. And, you know, it was kind of, you know, the world is your oyster type of mindset. <laughs> that was very much the early VMware days. There was just, we're moving quickly. I think the company was growing at some, you know, pretty insane rates, like 50, 70%, you know, year over year growth. So it was really just how do you keep the wheels on the bus and just get everything that you can done. And so I personally, I think thrived in that environment just because, as I mentioned, I am kind of a self-starter. If I see a gap, let's just go fix it. And, um, and so at the, the flip side though, is you're right. Like I didn't necessarily have the support or training. Uh, and I think like most of us, uh, that are probably listening, like I was trained as a computer scientist. I didn't <laughs> at least back 20 years ago when I was in college, they, they didn't really go over like people management or leadership <laughs> type of courses. And, and so to answer your question, I had no idea what I was doing, which by the way is still kind of the case today. It's, you know, <laughs> it's uh, kind of a constant thing for me. But as I said, I always ready to dive in head first, even into the depths unknown. But for me, it was really being driven by a vision of what needed to happen that, you know, it was clear this, this technology V motion. And then the a subsequent one we called storage V motion, which migrated the storage of a virtual machine in the same manner as vmotion um that, that we sort of there was a lot of work we needed to do and we needed to get this technology to a better spot so that was really what was driving me and i wasn't afraid you know to reach out to folks and sort of pull them together i don't think i knew it at the time but i do think one of the strengths that i have is this ability to get people together and to really understand where someone's coming from to understand their point of view, and then to be able to relate to it and help to articulate um, uh, why what we're doing or what I'm trying to get done is important and how that matches what they're trying to do. So I think I was using some of those soft skills that I had somewhat unconsciously to be able to facilitate this type of very organic working group that we had focused around vMotion. And I'm guessing also with the, the kind of employees, the kind of tech you're working on, it, 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 the problem was not motivating people to solve technical challenges. The problem was just aligning them and ensuring that they were actually solving the right technical challenges as a team. Yeah, that's absolutely right. Um, as I said, you know, the, the, the caliber of the technical talent was huge. The passion and the energy was huge. And, you know, people were working really hard on stuff, but really it was about how do we align on all the stuff that we're doing? As I mentioned, you know, vMotion in particular touched so many different other subsystems within ESX that we really need to be coordinated about how we focus on things. Because if we didn't all sort of rally around one area and instead we're sort of spread out focusing on this, that, or the other, you know, it's one of these things where we'd maybe make some inroads, but we wouldn't really get noticeable improvements. And those noticeable improvements would only come through that coordinated action. And now looking back on it, what was interesting is that 
I don't, I mean, maybe we had a program manager. I don't recall that. I think it was mostly just like engineers <laughs> and, you know, different types, right? Like coding engineers, like myself, performance engineers, quality engineers. We had all sorts of people, but I don't recall any project management folks. And, and, um, you know, so I'm not sure if someone somewhere was tracking this and relating it to like a release schedule or any of that. I was so naive. I, you know, wasn't even thinking about any of that stuff. I was just like, we just got to solve this, right? This just needs to be <laughs> solved. And so in some ways, maybe a little bit, for better or worse, had my head in the sand on that respect. Um, but, you know, I think on the plus side, we were left to, to our own devices to some de- degree to go get this done, which we were able to do. So it seems like you kind of continued along this kind of senior IC track. Next uh, couple of roles at vCenter and with Horizon Workspace were kind of principal engineer, chief architect. Mm-hmm. What what changed in in the role and the tasks as as you gained more seniority on that kind of IC track? Yep. Well, there's a few things. So on vMotion, I was still a hands-on coder, and that's what I did primarily. You know, a lot of the code in vMotion, maybe possibly still to this day, I don't know, could be some of mine, um, For again, for better or worse. <laughs> but... Uh, um, but you know the 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 team leadership or, or organizational etc type role was almost I don't know if it was secondary per se but it was kind of secondary to my primary which was coding work. Now, as I moved, uh, so one of the next things I did after VMotion was move to um, a product that was called VRealize uh, Operations or vCenter Operations at the time, and what it was was a performance management uh, tool to help with managing the performance of your underlying infrastructure as well as your VMs within a VMware environment. And the reason I did that was because I ran into a lot of performance issues with vMotion. So I had a good understanding of how ESX worked from a performance standpoint. I could codify some of that into a tool that could help customers. Now, that was an interesting one because whereas with vMotion, I had this Tiger team of maybe 10-odd folks, again, from across. We had storage folks. We had networking folks. You know, we had performance people. We had a bunch of different people. But maybe 10 in total were, were regularly attending these meetings to a much larger team uh, for vCenter operations, which probably 150 folks, maybe 200 folks eventually. Now, of course, I wasn't managing any of these, but I was the, the technical lead or the overall architect, if you will. Now, that one, I did a little bit of coding. But honestly, given the size of the team and the amount of work that needed to get done, what I you know quickly realized was that me just like ha- hammering out code wasn't necessarily the most effective way of driving the sort of changes and, and alignment that we needed. So I definitely spent a lot more time working with people. And I think that's probably the biggest takeaway uh, over my career has been this kind of surprise that while you spend all this time in college learning, you know, the basics of computer science and all these technical aspects, as you grow in your career, what becomes more and more important is these soft skills, these people skills, and that, yeah, you still need the, the technical background to, to think through some stuff. But what starts happening is these other things become much more important. So that's the first thing is that I had to spend a lot more time, um, just sorting people out. And I remember even talking to a manager or maybe one of the directors being like, I don't know what my value here is. Cause like, I'm like, all I do is just talk to people. I'm not coding. And he's like, he's like, look, he's like, you're gold in my mind. He's like, you have this calming presence. You know, you can bring all the architects together. They, they, they calm down. They listen to you, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, well, so what, you know, like, how is that valuable now? Obviously in the role I'm in today, I'm like, yeah, that, that is, I see the value. <laughs> 
But I think it was hard for me to internalize that that's, you know, actually helpful or, or how it was helpful. But, you know, the, the other way, the other thing that changed a little bit for me was also getting out of the traditional area of focus. So I traditionally focus on these low-level systems, like operating systems. VMotion is a low-level you know, distributed system. <clears throat> and now getting into vCenter operations and to performance management, it was a whole different ballgame uh, where, you know, I remember the, the, in fact, I was kind of doing both things for a while, both vMotion and v, uh, vCenter operations. And I remember going back and forth between meetings of the two teams and we go to vMotion and you know, we'd have this punch list, you know, list of stuff to get done. We just like rock through it, have action items, you know, every week sort of making progress and, and just knocking stuff down left, right and center. And then at the other one with performance, it was like, we debate, well, what does a user really want with this? What does this icon really mean? Kind of going in circles in a little bit. And it took me a while to realize what the difference was, was that when we have a, a operating system, distributed system, you have these types of problems there that I call systems problems, which typically speaking are very easy to define, but very hard to solve. So for instance, you might say with vMotion, okay, transparently migrate a running virtual machine between two physical hosts. That's the definition. You can say it in one sentence, solving it. It's going to take months <laughs> of you know hard engineering work. And yet you go to a performance management tool and you're like, okay, well, what does this one metric mean exactly? How should you think through um, uh, the implication of that? What's a user supposed to do based on that? Like, And so what you find is that whereas the problem is easy to define with the system and the solution is hard, typically for the sort of management type of problem uh, the, uh, or area, the problem itself is very difficult to define. But once you've, once you've defined it accurately and specifically, then the solution is very easy. It's like, oh, it's a button, it's a calculation, none of this stuff is hard engineering. So that was another thing that was really tripping me up because I didn't realize that the problem space was fundamentally shifted in this other domain. And so I think that was a huge learning that really said, hey, you've got a lot of blind spots that you've really got to be more thoughtful about that I just wasn't aware of at all. And did you, I mean, effectively, it, in some ways, it's moving from engineering management to, to product management, right? Where a product is, is an important part of the domain, technical product, though it be. Were, were there any resources or were there any things you started doing to, to kind of level up on the product side and better understand specification requirements, user mm -hmm. research, any of the above? Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> and it, it, you make a really, really good point that you're right. It is a lot of that comes down to good product management and having that like clear definition and i think if i look at <clears throat> vmware at the time you know we were very engineering run because again for a systems problem it's like okay you know we got to go support 64-bit processors you don't really need much product management definition it's like the task <laughs> is clear let's go do it or you know symmetric multiprocessing capabilities like that was even you know unknown whether it was even feasible to do but you know we <laughs> engineers hammered through it and figured it out and so and you know the vmotion was kind of the same and, and so going to this other domain you're right it actually the, the qualities of a team and what's necessary for the team to be successful shifted and so i think you put it very eloquently and, and concisely in the question i think for me it never quite got that crisp and clear right i didn't know about things like user research and like the the details of the design team and, and how that should work i mean now, part of my remit is the VMware design team. Like we have the design team within 
VMware engineering within my org. So I'm much, much better acquainted with that. <laughs> but a lot of those things I had no idea about. And I think to some degree, we as a company um, weren't really knowledgeable about that either at the time. And so this is, I think, a really interesting lesson about how a growing company needs to change and to develop. I mean, there's the whole, you know, Clay Christensen, innovator's dilemma sort of thing. But I think when you're moving into a new space, what you realize is that not only, you know, does do myself as an individual, I need to change and notice my blind spots, but at a company level, you can actually have those same blind spots in terms of your skill sets. And so you're right. I, you know, I don't think we really formally realize that or the gaps that were there. And, you know, we have over time figured it out, obviously, but it, it took us a while. And I think for a lot of it, it definitely felt for me like I was um, going down this uncharted path and I wasn't really sure how to navigate it and was sort of trying to just come up with things as they happen or deal with things as they came up. So to answer your question, no, it wasn't any real <laughs> great strategy there, unfortunately. Um, but one of those things where it became very apparent to me that how we were doing things wasn't the most effective and that we needed to change. And so, you know, we did bring in stronger product management capability, people who had expertise uh, in the area of uh, performance management, you know, we made an acquisition to help accelerate some of our efforts there, which brought in some of that talent, not to mention the tech. So, you know, we eventually got over it, but that was just a huge area of learning for me about how, <coughs> pardon me, about how I really need to continually push myself to check my own blind spots. That's great. The next thing I'd love to drill into, so they, I know you had another principal engineer, chief architect role at Horizon Workspace, but I'd love to jump into the, the next big change, which is moving from the IC to management track effectively mm -hmm. when you are VP and CTO end user computing. Yep. Did you just wake up one day and be like, I've had <laughs> enough architecting things. I want to have to deal with the problems of like 800 employees. Like what, what was the, the motivator and, and what was the experience like? Yeah. So what actually happened was I moved, yeah, so after um, the vCenter Ops stuff, I moved over to our end-user computing group, again, in a completely different domain. And that's one thing I actually liked, you know, one of the other reasons I've been at VMware for quite a while is because I've been able to move to these different areas and learn totally new things and really be challenged in that respect. Now, I moved over to work on some of the mobile device management stuff we were doing. Um, and I was still sort of a you know, senior engineer. But what happened was that the CTO for the group left. We had a new general manager. And um, I've been working with that GM uh, a little bit. And so he eventually said, hey, uh, are you interested in becoming CTO? And I'm like, um, sure, that sounds great. <laughs> so, again, I always sort of jump into things, uh, not knowing what's going on. So I didn't really know what a CTO needed to do or, or whatever. So we can talk about that one in a minute. But as part of that, there was an office of the CTO. It was quite small, uh, five or so folks. So that was really my official shift from an IC to a manager. And I got to say, it was, it was, that part was actually a nice shift because it was just five folks. It was a very small team. These are all, you know, senior, experienced, mature people that, you know, were very self-driven and uh, just took care of a bunch of stuff. So, um, it was a very uh, light way, I guess, for me to to make the transition. Um, and yeah, I, uh, I th that's how I started. 
And just to be super clear then, so the other engineers within the end user cloud uh, computing division, they didn't report up to you via like senior directors or other VPs. It was more, you were dealing with the Octo and just yeah, driving Yeah, I just had the direct uh, management of those five folks. And there were some VPs of engineering that the rest of the engineering org reported up to. Got it. And then what about when you made the move to VP and CTO of cloud native apps, which must yeah. have been a, a fascinating time in 2014, 2015, where it was kind of a, maybe not a bet the, the company on it, but that, that was a very important part of VMware's strategy over the last eight years. It has been, yeah. So what happened was, uh, ironically enough, it was not long after I accepted the CTO role for end-user computing that I started seeing some of these things happening in the industry around containers like Docker and this sort of stuff. And of course, you know, at the time everyone was talking about, oh, you know, virtualization is dead. No one needs VMs anymore. And there's a whole bunch of interesting <laughs> lessons from all that we can get into in a little while. But, um, but what happened was, you know, I saw what was happening in the industry and it got me worried enough that, uh, and I, you know, again, looked around, didn't really see anyone else taking action within VMware to really address the, this, this changing dynamic. So I went to our executive leadership, our CEO, and was like, hey, you know, I think that um, we got to do something more structured here. So essentially what I ended up proposing was to create a, a new organization, a new business unit with, within the org to focus specifically on these cloud-native applications on, you know, what would be, eventually become Kubernetes and, and these different areas. And so that's where I made the switch um, out of end-user computing to this role. So I moved from a, a CTO role to a, it was theoretically a general manager role, although we didn't actually have any products in market yet. It was you know, very, very early time. So we founded the Cloud Native Apps business unit. And you know what, what we found was that there were a number of these pockets of activity happening around the company. And so through a number of reorgs, we quickly... Um, amassed a team of about 150 folks. Now, that one was one where, you know, moving from IC to managing five people, that was fine. I didn't lose any sleep on that one. But going from five to 150, not quite <laughs> overnight, but pretty pretty quickly. Um, and having probably, I don't know, two levels of management anyway below me. Like, it, it happened very, very fast. And um, to say that I was unprepared for that, <laughs> probably an understatement right that would be that would be generous <laughs> uh very much kind of a deer in the headlights thing looking back so you know i, th I think there are a few things <clears throat> um first and foremost i think that i was used to as an individual contributor or even as in the cto role only only managing five folks directly i was still very focused on influencing and that typically speaking i was not a decision maker i was an influencer and that you know kind of defined how I operated, right? And um, and now being this GM role, uh, this GM uh, leading this BU, I was a decision maker at least for everything that happened within the BU. And it took me a long time to realize that. And it sounds kind of silly in retrospect. It's just like, well, how did you not know? But it's just kind of my default operating. Like you know, when we had a group of people, I, I was it was. Um, I mean, even today, I'm still very Socratic in sort of how I engage with with folks. But at, at some point, you need a decision. And I think people were looking at me to say, hey, like, is there a decision? And I was looking at other people to make a decision. And so I think we kind of like spiraled a little bit because of that. And some of these things went unsaid. And so, I, you know, it just took a little bit longer than we had hoped or than I had hoped to sort of figure that one out. 
the second point was really um, the the scale of the operation, just dealing with all these people and like, and you know, really realizing how important the things I say are, which again sounds kind of you know, duh, obviously. But what you find, especially in the role I'm in now, managing an even larger team, is that you say like little tiny things kind of offhand and you mean nothing by them. But of course, someone hears it and takes it a slightly different way and things run off with it. Um, Or the flip side where, you know, you really need to give clarity to the team so they know what to do. A lot of that, I don't think I really fully understood at the time. And so again, you know, if I look at... um. Well, I guess sorry. The third thing I'll say, uh, on or maybe the sub point of that, which I just which I just made was that, you know, I really believed at the time that we had a, a small window of time to execute on this cloud native apps strategy. That what was happening in the industry with Kubernetes and Docker and at the time Mesos and all these things mm-hmm. would be sort of existential for VMware. Now, of course, that didn't turn out to be the case. But at the time, I was very worried about it. So I do think I was pushing the team really hard on this. And I think I created perhaps unnecessarily a bit of like, too much stress, right? I think it's good, you know, to have to be edgy and, and push the team and get stuff done quickly. But I think I didn't really realize how far I was going with it unintentionally. And, you know, I was well-intentioned. But I think it le- led to a lot of people, you know, kind of burning out, right? So you got to be sort of thoughtful around that, which I wasn't. So in any case, I think... Um, that was probably a, a two-year period or so, year and a half to two years. Quite tumultuous, uh, quite difficult. Um, I felt like I was getting, kept getting kicked to the ground every other day. And yet, when I look back on it, I think that period of time may have been the time uh, during my career, uh, over my entire career, where I learned the most. Well, we don't learn a whole bunch from when, when, everyone, when everything's going well and everyone's saying good things. Right. And then maybe it's the, the kind of final checkpoint. I, I know, again, there was a couple more stops. But then as you land as chief technology officer at VMware, how was that? In what ways was it different or similar to being GM CTO of a, of a business unit? Yeah. So, you know, my current role, um, I manage uh, about 2,300 folks or so or, or in the organization. So obviously in another order of magnitude above what I was doing um, in the GM role. And what, what's interesting about it is I came into this role and obviously, again, like all, always, you know, there's things to learn. You're never quite prepared for any role when you first take it on, if it's a new, you know, bigger thing. Uh, but at the same time, I feel like my experience with cloud native apps and in many ways, my failures there really helped prepare me for where I am today for this greater management scale for realizing the sort of blind spots that I have and, and, you know, how I need to shift from an influencer to a decision maker and and so many of these other aspects. Um, So I felt much more comfortable coming in, not totally comfortable, but relatively (laughs) speaking, more comfortable than (laughs) how I was uh, at the cloud native app side to be able to, I think, be more successful in this role. Now, that being said, I'm still, you know, the lessons I've learned from before tell me, hey, uh, always keep an eye out for where your blind spots are. And I think at this next level of scale, you know, where, what, you know, there's a number of things uh, I think I'm challenged with or, or trying to grow into. But certainly one of them is, you know, how do I think about spending my time and how do I think about how deep 
to get into the, the various things that are happening across the organization. You know, I love to geek out on stuff and, and getting in there and it's great, but you know, there's a couple of things and, and part of it's good. I need to keep a finger on the pulse, make sure things are going well, root out problems, all that stuff within the org. But at the same time, I don't want to micromanage and I don't want to take up people's time just giving me updates versus them actually, you know, making <laughs> forward progress on whatever it is that they're working on. <clears throat> so there's some of this, you know, management at even greater scale. I think I'm still working through and trying to figure out what is the happy medium there. But I think, you know, when I look back at it, uh, uh, the, the failures that I had from that experience in the Cloud Native Apps Group really set me up for much greater success now. And I think that if I hadn't had that experience and hadn't been kicked to the curb, you know, so many times, I don't think I'd be nearly as well prepared as I am now. And so something that I share often with people that, you know, don't be afraid to take the leap a little bit, a leap of faith. Like, even if you think it's a bit of a stretch to go into a role, you know, go for it. I think what I failed to do was really get enough mentorship to help me during that cloud native apps time to sort of support me in it. But irrespective, I still made it through dusting myself off and now in many ways doing better than ever. So, um, you know, not to say that everything's perfect in the current role, <laughs> but I do think that a much better setup because of the challenging experiences I had earlier. So a couple of things I want to dive into. We're a little over time, but I want to run a little long on this just, just to, to get some of the, the insights. So especially moving from, from managing ICs to, to managing managers or, or managing managers, manager, right? The five to 150. Yep. Were there any resources that you did find? Did you find blog posts? Did you find books? Was there a mentor that helped out? Was there a group? Was there anything that helped you through? Or was it just simply, I'm going to get it wrong until I get it right myself? Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, a lot of it's the the latter there, <laughs> unfortunately, <laughs> or maybe or whatever. My, you know, so one of the things that I know about myself I'm very bad at is asking for help. I'm just not good at that. I don't know why. It's not like, like, I'm fine when I do it. I don't feel ashamed or whatever. <clears throat> I don't know if it's just I'm hard-headed or what it is. I'm just bad at asking for help. <laughs> and so... um I know some people have been great and I, I mentor some people and like, you know, they, they're not afraid to reach out, very proactive about it, you know, constantly pinging me with questions. And that's awesome. And I love, I love supporting them. My style is very different. My style is, yeah, just like get in there, sort of get a feel for what's going on, think through it. Sometimes ask people for questions. So most of it was kind of, yeah, just figuring it out. I think looking back, sometimes that's great. Sometimes it's not. Um, you know, one of the things I will say is I did have a manager. Uh, toward you know, maybe the latter half of, of the cloud native apps experience, who was very supportive of me and was um, giving me a lot of guidance, right? And I really liked this guy because he was super, super real. He was just like, one of the things he said uh, at some point during the, during that period was, um, we were talking about you know my future, what I want to do next or how I want to navigate the, this whole situation. And he was like, well, he's like, look, myself, the executive's, we all think you're a great CTO, but we also think you're a pretty shitty GM right now. <laughs> and so like, and it was like, okay. And I was like, yeah, I get that right now. I'm not doing great. Um, but he was also like, Hey, look, it's up to you. He's like, right now, I think your skill set's much better as a outbound and, you know, internal uh, CTO um, versus a GM. But he's like, if you want to continue on the GM route, I'm happy to support you. So we did have that good rapport and he definitely gave me a lot of guidance. But at the same time, I think 
looking back at it, I just you know, was totally unprepared for it in such a way that it, that one may have been too much of a jump <laughs> a little bit. Um, talking about taking the, you know, the, the leap of faith. Um, but at the same time, I, I could have done better in terms of resourcing. And that's just something I'm not great at, but trying to improve on. And then I guess the final question I'd ask is many of the people who listen to this have built, managed teams of maybe 50, 100, 150, done by number, mm-hmm. starts to get different. As you move from 150, where you have a lot of the systems in place, it's an established organization, to managing 2,000, what changes and what questions would you suggest somebody ask themselves if they got the chance to make that leap themselves versus continuing with a smaller org? Yeah. <clears throat> so it's a few things, right? Um, this is generally true of, of management, but the higher you go, the less hands-on you're going to be in whatever it is that you do. <clears throat> and I think folks who have done the, the management journey have seen that. When you're a first-level manager, you're still got to be very deep into whatever domain you know, you're in. you got to have that expertise. But as you get to the second level, it goes away. Third level, fourth level, you know, sort of dies down. And so part of it is, you know, as a cloud native apps person, I was in that tech, like doing that all the time. Where I'm at now as CTO of of a 2000 plus person org, you know, it's like I got design. uh, I've got a lot of our incubation efforts. I've got research. You know, we've got some of our partner engineering stuff. We've got security we've got you know all sorts of different things it runs the gamut so there's no way i can be detailed any of those so i think to some degree it's a question of you know do you want to do that trade-off right like and where does that trade-off sit best for you um you know the second thing i would say is that for my team of 150 a lot of the skills i learned around you know um managing performance and trying to communicate at scale and some of those things, I think those gave me a good foundation for going up to this 2000 person. So at least from my experience, I would say some of those probably won't change hugely. I mean, the the order of scale does, but as long as you've built some muscle around that and and can do that, I think that's okay. Um, And then I think, you know, the, the other piece for me is it really depends on the role. Like, in this role I'm in, in in CTO, it's very broad and we're covering, as I said, a lot of different disciplines. Whereas something more like a general manager, you have a single overriding goal, which is to hit your PL, right? And so in my role as CTO, it's it's a bit more diffuse. Um, we've got a number, of, you know, we do use OKRs here. We've got a few a number of different OKRs, but they're they're you know fairly broad in range. It's not like kind of a single overriding thing. So I think that's the other question to think through in terms of the role is like, do you want that sort of single thing you're accountable for? Or do you want a bit more uh, breadth in, in what you're focused on? Okay. Unfortunately, we're out of time, but thank you so much for taking the time to share your journey. It's a fascinating story. Of course, Peter. Thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed being here. If you'd like to learn more about Geeks Who Lead, go to geekswholead.com. Sign up for our weekly newsletter to get regular access to other great interviews and then see whether you might qualify to join one of our exclusive free executive communities.